Well, good morning, church. Not quite what I was planning is a book that is filled with six-word memoirs by writers famous and obscure. The book recorded responses from people who answered the question, if you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? To this point, if you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? And apparently, the book was inspired by Ernest Hemingway, who famously wrote, For Sale, Baby Shoes Never Worn. And Hemingway proved that a whole story could be told using a half dozen words. So let me give you a few of the responses to that question. If you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? Someone wrote in, uh, one tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. Someone else wrote in, the psychic said I'd be richer. Someone else wrote, savior complex makes for many disappointments. And then someone else wrote, tombstone won't say had health insurance. And then this one's rather sobering, thought I would have, ma- I would have more impact. Thought I would have more impact. Pastor John John Ortberg came up with his own six words that might have captured some of the Bible characters. So a six-word memoir for Abraham, for example, he wrote, left Ur, had baby, still laughing. Not bad. For Moses, burning bush, stone tablets, Charlton Heston. (laughs) For Jonah, no, storm, overboard, Whale regurgitated, yes. Esau, at least the stew was good. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) don't think on that too long. Rich young ruler, Jesus called, left sad, still rich. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, king was hot, furnace was not. Good Samaritan, I came, I saw, I stopped. Perhaps my favorite, prodigal son, bad, sad, dad glad, brother mad. Sums it up pretty good. One life, six words, what's yours? If you had to summarize your life in six words, what would they be? You know, that kind of question just forces us to focus on what really matters in life. And what is true of any Bible characters true of your life and mine, who could have predicted where our lives would have taken us? Not quite what I was planning. And that's what James addresses next in his letter. He'll speak very practically to the plans we make and the course that our lives seem to take. So turn with me, if you're not there in your Bibles, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, as we continue in our study in the book of James along the theme of faith and action. And as is the case, as we're seeing with the entire book of James, verses 13 through 17 is intensely practical. But before we look at verses 13 through 17 that Pastor Dan read for us, which is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning, I want to pick up two verses that I left behind from last week. 
Okay, I thought I was going to get to them, and I didn't. So I want to pick up on them. I'm going to just touch on these two verses. But I hope that by the end of this first point here with these two verses, you'll see how they're connected to this week's passage. So if you want headings, there's my first heading this morning, Playing God and Others' Lives. Playing God and Others' Lives. James chapter 4, verse 11. You see, James addresses them as brothers. He's speaking to believers here. He says, brothers, sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Now, the NIV there chose to go with the word slander, but it actually is broader than that in the original. Literally, the command there at the beginning of, of verse 11 is do not speak down on or do not speak against. Any speech that runs down another believer violates this command. And, and, and those kind of, these kind of statements in which we kind of uh, speak against someone else, it usually begin with words like this. Now stop me if I'm wrong, but... Or, or, or I don't mean to be critical, but. Or perhaps I shouldn't say this, and then you probably shouldn't, but. Or, I mean, I, I, mean, I love him, but. Now, I'm sure you've never said any of those things, but you know people who have, right? Well, James goes on, verse 12, gets a little more convicting. There's only one lawgiver and judge. The one who was able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? In other words, who do you think you are? Who made you God? And when we judge others in this way, we're coming awfully close to playing God in other people's lives. Now, this is not to say there's never a place for judging. It kind of goes beyond my, my purposes this morning, but I do want to mention this, that we can confront someone on his or her sin, and Jesus spoke of the right way to do that in Matthew chapter 7. You can check it out, Matthew 7, I think it's 1 through 5, 1 through 6. You see, wise, righteous, loving confrontation for the purpose of building up is one thing, self-serving judging for the purpose of tearing down in order to feel better about yourself is out of line in the Christian community. And really, how much skill does it take to be critical? Yet how often have I made a judgment about someone based on limited information? As it's been said, it's easier to be critical than to be correct. I mean, if only I, I knew the backstory. If only I took the time to consider what else might be going on in this person's life, it just might slow me down a little bit. You see, only God knows the true motives of a person's heart. Only God can pass judgment on a person's actions without fault, without hypocrisy, without retaliation. Church, quit playing God. Quit playing God. And that transitions smoothly into what James is going to say next year in verses 13 through 17. Not only are we not to play God in other people's lives, heading number two is playing God over our own lives. Playing God over our own lives. James chapter 4, verse 13. 
James begins here by saying, now listen. Now listen, which is really just another way of saying, pay attention. Hang on a minute. Before you go planning, which is where he's going to go with this, before you go planning, hear what I have to say. Now listen, he goes on, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now the picture here is of merchants who mapped out their destinations, their strategies, and their business trips based on, 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 only on the basis of profitability, only on how they were going to make money. And the language here suggests a certainty that their plans were going to work out. This is what we're going to do. It will work out. We're going to go this, and we're going to make money. Now, is it, is it wrong to plan and intend to go places and do things? I mean, I read these words, and I find, feel myself starting to get a little defensive. I can immediately show you in Scripture where it encourages planning. There are many proverbs in the Bible that speak to seeking counsel as we plan, that we're to consider the ways of ants who prepare in advance about its food, a plan. Proverbs often commends planning. For instance, Proverbs 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. I go, yes, planning, because if you've served with me and been around me at all, you know I am a planner. I know, probably by some of you nuts. I even believe there's such a thing as planned spontaneity. You work it out, I have. See, I like to know um, what I'm going to do and can plan things really to a fault. Just ask my family about some trips we've taken that my planning just about ruined the fun. On second thought, don't ask them. <laughs> Rather, you didn't. See, but if you make this passage here about planning or non-planning, you've missed the point. What is James getting at here? Well, let's continue to try and track with James's point. Follow along, verse 14. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And all the non-planners in this room, this is your life verse right here. You're going, yes, exactly. Go with the flow. Take things as they come. I love this verse. Right? All right, so you have planners on one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end side of the spectrum, often in reaction to planners, right? You grew up with a planner. You go, I'm never planning again. Right? So you have, this rea- so you have planners on one side. You have non-planners on the other side who kind of just kind of simply shrug their shoulders and you say, Whatever. James is not advocating passive fatalism, whatever will be, will be. Nor is James condemning all planning outright. James's point here, James is going after a humanistic philosophy that says, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, to quote Henley's poem, Invictus. Now here's the thing. Many people who would never identify as atheists who don't believe in God are practical atheists. Believe in God, but God has very little to do with their life. That's practical atheism. And when your plans do not include God, you act as though you're sovereign. You're playing God. 
And James points out the problem with that kind of thinking. And go at it alone, attitude toward life with no or very little reference to God is presumptuous. It's presumptuous on two accounts. One, our life is uncertain. Our life is uncertain. It's presumptuous on that account. We think we got all, no, we don't know what's going to happen. We think it's predictable. It's not. Our life is uncertain. That's why James says, verse 14, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. I mean, you're assuming when we kind of live that way without God as a part of it and we're making all these plans that we have control of our future and that everything will go as you plan. How's that working out for you? I mean, how does it go for you, with you, when your plans are interrupted? I mean, you're stuck in a long line. Your flight is delayed. A family member needs you at home when you've got all kinds of other things to do. Your reservation gets lost. A tire goes flat. You can't see your grandkids over Thanksgiving. <laughs> I feel your pain. I'm going to give you the short version. I won't bore you with the details. But our plans as a family this past Thanksgiving were totally changed. We thought, we thought we had planned that we were going to visit our daughter and son-in-law and our two amazing grandkids in Virginia. What we didn't know, what we didn't know when we made those plans was that Donna's dad would pass away and there were things to do to get ready for his memorial service this Saturday. What we didn't know is that we need to stick around here to take care of a dog who had surgery? <laughs> See, no matter how carefully you plan, something can always go wrong with it. The best laid plans of mice and men, right? You know that, don't you? The best laid plans of mice and men, gang after glee. We don't know what that means, but what it means is can go awry. Life is so unpredictable. Barbara was enjoying a night out with some friends at a restaurant when her face suddenly registered total panic. Oh no, she said, I left the eggs on the stove and the burner's still on. You know that feeling, don't you? She calculated the eggs had been cooking for two hours by that time. Her only hope, her hope was in her teenage son, that he would notice it and turn off the stove. Well, when she arrived home, she found the burner turned off and the pan on the stove was empty. The eggs had exploded <laughs> and were plastered all over the ceiling, all over the walls. Well, on the, on the counter was a note from her son that said, Mom, your eggs look done, so I turned the burner off. <laughs> he is on top of it. Now, our plans in life have a way of just splattering all over the place. And often our response is one of panic. Now, if you believe that God is sovereign, if you believe that God is in control, he can interrupt our plans at any time. Not quite what I was planning captures, really, the essence, the process of sanctification. God often takes us on different paths, different roads, a zigzag kind of thing than we had planned for our lives. True? James says, hang on a minute. 
Before you go planning this and you go planning that, look at the reality of your situation. You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Plans change. Life is so uncertain. I know the bumper sticker says eat dessert first. Life is so uncertain. That's not where James is going with this. Life's so uncertain. If that's true, don't you want to be sure that what you're doing matters? See, not only is it presumptuous because life is so uncertain, but secondly, because of its brevity. Its brevity. James continues to start, middle of verse uh, uh, 14. He says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In the course of their planning, these merchants here, they left out an essential piece. They were forgetting the brevity of life. When this physical examination of a 78-year-old man had been completed, the doctor recommended that he come back in six months for another checkup. At this suggestion, the aged patient shook his head and said, Doctor, I don't think I'll be around then. Nonsense, replied the physician with a reassuring smile. You'll be around for years yet. The elderly man gave him an odd look and explained, I mean that I'll be in Florida. I go there every January. Now, we laugh at that, but the question it raises is very sobering. Will you and I be around tomorrow? Next month? Year from now? I mean, surely it's sensible to make plans for the future. Sure. But we must always do so with the awareness of the shortness of life. What does it say? It is a mist that appears your life, it's a puff of smoke, a mist, a, 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 like steam from a, sea, a tea kettle rising into the air for a split second and then vanishes just as fast. That's life. Your life's a mist. That's not very flattering, is it? I mean, imagine being introduced in such language. Our speaker for today is Mr. Jones. He's a mist. On the welcome video, our sermon this morning is from Pastor Brian. He is a mist. Do you see it, though? Here might be a six-word summary. My life, mist, little while, vanishes. Now, that isn't a cheerful thought. You're going, I'm really glad I got up for this message this morning. It's a little morbid, kind of depressing. I know, but we're not guaranteed life at the end of today. Now, we know that. We don't always live like we really believe that. We live at times, don't we, as if we're going to be here forever? I mean, why else would we keep uh, uh, storing up for ourselves treasures on earth? I mean, why else would we put off speaking up for God? Why else would we put off leading our home or, or, or go another day without mending that quarrel or, or delay uh, any longer investing in people's lives? Why do we put off? We must think we're going to live here forever because why else would we put off adjusting our priorities? Why else would we put off that decision for Christ? We live at times as, as though we think we're going to be here forever. I heard of some men years ago 
They're on a, a leaky old ship in the middle of a rough and stormy sea, and they're actually fearful for their lives. They didn't know whether they were going to sink or not. So one of them went to see the captain and said, Captain, are we safe? Well, he said, well, <laughs> let, me, let me put it to you this way. The boilers on the ship are very weak, and they may explode at any moment. Also, the ship is very old, and she's taking on water. So to be very honest with you, we may have an explosion or we may sink. He said, we may go up or we may go down, but at any rate, we're going on. And I think that's the way we're to live life. Jesus may come and, and we may go up. We may, down and go, we may die and go down and then up. But at any rate, we're going on. Isn't it? We're going on. We go on to make the most of the time that we have. So, whether you plan your every move, or you have this chilling thing down to a science, talk to me afterwards, I'd like to learn a little. The question for all of us is, are you making your life count for God? In the time that we have, are we living in light of eternity? Or, or are we just kind of living for ourselves and figure we have all kinds of time to make a difference? Hey, I'll get around to that kingdom stuff later on in life. When I figure all these other things out and I do what I need to do for myself, then I'll do that stuff. Then, another time. You know the poem. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me nothing but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. God is God. I am not. He is sovereign, and you are not. He is in control, and we are not. God can interrupt our plans. Are we holding on to our plans so tightly with little thought of what God wants? What are we to do? Third heading this morning is planning with God in it. Planning with God in it. James shifts from what we're saying to what we ought to say. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. God willing. Now, Puritans loved this phrase. It filled their speech and correspondence with the Latin equivalent, Deo Valente, Deo V-O-L-E-N-T-E, Deo Valento, Deo meaning God, Valente meaning willing, God willing. And back in church history, the Methodists were known to sign their letters with the initials D-V, Deo Valente. We should say, if God wills. Now, certainly... We don't need any more cl cliches to add to our collection, okay? We don't need more Christianese here. You know, if God wills and the creek don't rise? Never really understood the second part until I lived in New York and creeks really did rise and we were in trouble. We didn't say that phrase anymore. But, but it, it isn't this mantra that we repeat over and over and over as we tack it on to the end of every sentence. God willing, Lord wills. That's actually going to be kind of annoying. But it wouldn't hurt us to think that way a little more often. Deo volente. God willing. 
should be written over all our plans. The choice of our life partner, your future education, everyday activities, Deo Valente, God willing. And do you see the difference it would make in our lives if we lived with that mindset? Not quite what I was planning may be exactly what God has in mind for you. Instead of getting all stressed out because of some interruption to our plans, we'd see them as opportunities. I have a long way to go on that one. Instead of seeing what happens to us as intrusions, we can embrace them as God appointments. We can go on, we can go on trusting that his plan is best and knowing that where he leads us is right where he will be also. Deo Valente, God willing. It's not just some cute little phrase, it shapes our worldview. It presupposes a life of dependence on the Lord. God willing translates into a lifestyle that desires to live every single moment for the glory of God. Now, I read somewhere, and I couldn't find it this past week to know where the source is, but I read somewhere, and maybe it's just legend, but I read somewhere that the great preacher John Wesley planned out his day in 20-minute increments. He would plan out his day in 20-minute blocks so that he would make sure that not even one-third of his every hour is not being lived for the glory of God. Now, that sounds a little stressful to me every 20 minutes, okay, even for a planner. But the point is, the will of God concerns the present more than it does the future. Okay, like, well, I wonder what God asked me five years from now. Back it up. It has to do with the daily choices we make to honor, love, and serve God that determine whether we're doing the will of God. It's doing His will today. God's will is priority. Our will is secondary. Is that how I'm approaching our daily, my daily activities? Is that how you're approaching your careers, your mates, your, your retirement, your next move, your next ministry? Is it God willing? What does God want me to do in this present moment? See, rather than be paralyzed by indecision as to what God's will for us is in the future, this really ought to be freeing. But we have to ask the question, have I been planning my own way with little thought of what God thinks? Do you see yourself as self-made and tend to brag about your own independent accomplishments apart from God? You say, it's not really a big deal. I'm kind of making a big deal out of nothing. No, listen to what he says in verse 16. This is how it literally reads in the original. As it is, you boast about your pretensions. All such boasting is evil. That's a pretty strong word. Boasting about what I am going to do, boasting about my achievements, it is not a trivial matter. Think about what we boast in. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. James says, that is evil. Do you know what is the second most played song at funerals? It used to be the number one played song at funerals, but now it's You'll Never Walk Alone. It kind of took first place. But second most played song at funerals that was first place for a long time. You know what it was? You know what it is? Frank Sinatra is my way. 
and now the end is here, and so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway, and more, much more. I did it. I did it my way. Now, I know that song has a way of showing up in sermons. I'm pretty sure I've used it before, and I think Pastor Dan used it once. But you know why we use it so much? Because it perfectly perfectly epitomizes the mindset of a life lived apart from God. And though we may not express it as crassly as Frank Sinatra, might that be the way we go through life more than we care to admit? Church, Pastor Brian, Do you need to confront practical atheism in your life? We believe in God. Yet in practice, we might not include God in the person we date and the person we should marry and the activities we should add to our lives or in the career we should pursue or the use of our time or the ministry we should get involved in, the place we might move to that's a hardship on our soul. We said, more important, I make money here than what God might think of it. And I'm not really involving God in it. It might mess with my plan. And as parents, we can even communicate to our children this wonderful plan for your life. You should do this, and then you go to college, and then you do this, and this, and this. Do whatever you can to to make money and to support your family. Go get a good job. Make good money. Go to this school. Are we passing on practical atheism? Don't include God in it. Just do what you need to do. I know it's strong, guys. It shows up in my life. We can be so concerned with the physical realm that we ignore spiritual realities. James says, don't leave God out. Don't exclude God from your agenda. Make sure God is in your plans. It really comes down to this. And you might recall, I really doubt it, but I'll flatter myself with this. Perhaps you might recall the phrase I used. I borrowed it from a pastor's friend of mine in Maine. It's a phrase that I used when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes like 100 years ago. It was the, this was the phrase. It applies right here. If God isn't in it, it ain't worth it. If God isn't in it, it ain't worth it. Now, you grammarians out there can change that if you want at the end. I'm doing it for emphasis. God isn't in it. It ain't worth it. Well, James now says, you know this, verse 17, summary statement, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Don't you kind of wish James didn't say that? Knowing the good I ought to do? That's a long list. That's commonly understood as a sin of omission. And verse 17 is certainly a summary statement for all that's gone before it in this letter. But in context here, we got, got to stay in context here. It's a fitting conclusion to those who would call themselves believers should know to include God in their plans, yet choose not to do so. James says that is sin. It's knowing and believing in God and then going about our day kind of as if he's not there. Well, he's just over here when I need him. We don't want to push him away completely. Not quite what I was planning frees us, really, to embrace what God has for us each day. You can have your plans. You can. You can make your sound investments. 
You can fill your day with good activities. You can make good money. You can play hard. But church, if God isn't in it, it ain't worth it. Do I really want I did it my way, played at my funeral? What words do you want to summarize your life? My life missed little while vanishes. All right, then the time to do the will of God is now, not later. Francis Chan uses this uh, rope to put all things in perspective for us. He does a great job with it. He pulls out this long rope to represent the timeline of our existence for eternity. And a small end of the rope, just a small end of the rope, is colored in red. And that part, the red part, represents the length of our life. The rest of the rope was white. That represents our existence for eternity. Now, he does a really better job explaining it, so I want you to check this video out. Uh, and watch him go through this with us. Check it out. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all the stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, Oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid, because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb? for this or this let's pray sobering thought 
It really needs to drive deep into our hearts. You don't want to just you don't want us just to ponder this and think on it. You want us to do something with what is said here. And so God, I pray that you'd convict us of where we're spending a lot of time on the red without thinking about all that white, the eternity. May we not put it off, but may we submit our plans to you and do what it is that you want us to do. And where you take us, we may not always understand it, we may not even see where you're going with our lives, but the truth is, you're right beside us, walking with us through the zigzagging of life when you're in it. So God, may we be able to submit to that even as we sing this final song this morning, a reminder of how you take us in many different paths, but that the best place to be is right there behind you, letting you lead us. Thank you in Jesus' name.